Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now, here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Good morning again. Uh, Welcome to Vertical Church. Uh, If we didn't have a chance to meet before uh, or haven't met some other time, my name is Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor uh, here at Vertical, and it's my honor and privilege to just say welcome. Uh, we're, We're really excited that you're here today. You picked a great Sunday to join us. We're wrapping up a series called Overwhelmed, just like the video was talking about. And it's been a great series. Uh, this is week five, and, th- and this is the, uh, the conclusion. One quick thing before we do dive in, though. If this is your first or second time, uh, you'll notice in the cup holder beside of you, there's a little card. It says uh, Vertical Church Communication Card on top of it. Uh, let me give you a little bit of information about that card. Uh, that card is there for you to fill out as much information as you feel comfortable. And at the end of today's experience, if you will take it out back to the lobby, uh, to the black VIP area, There's a person there, they'll greet you, and they'll give you a little gift if you give them the card. But more importantly, uh, if you give them the card, we make a donation to an organization called Charity Water for every card that we get from a first or second time guest. So here's what that means. You fill out the card, you turn it in, we make a donation. See how that works? Like it's completely selfless. And then just in case that's not incentive enough, like I said, we've got a gift and another gift that we don't tell you about, but we send it to you in the mail. So uh, if you don't know what that is, ask somebody uh, who's received it and they'll tell you, and then you'll want to fill it out. Selfish reasons or, or uh, unselfish reasons, whatever uh, floats your boat. Just fill out the card. You know what I'm saying? All right, cool. Um, also, uh, if, if you invite somebody and they come with you, make sure they fill out the card. You know, tell them, hey, fill out the card. This helps uh, Charity Water. It's an organization we partner with. And it's a really cool thing to do. Speaking of inviting, next week, uh, this is not like announcement time, but next week we're starting a really cool series called Man Versus Wife. Um, a lot of, uh, there, there are those of you in the room, don't raise your hand, but honeymoon has, has uh, ended long time ago. <laughs> It is no longer honeymoon uh, bliss and, and, and sugar plum and, and sweetie when you walk through the door. No, that's gone. It's boxing gloves are on. Let's bring out the cage. It's gone from, from honeymoon to UFC. Let's, let's get it on means something completely different. You know what I'm saying? I'm, just, I'm not going any further than that. I'm just, it means we're going we're gonna to go at it now. We're going to tussle. And so we're going to talk about that because the Bible is not a marriage book, but it has so much to say about our relationships and how we interact with each other. And the gospel can actually help your marriage. Uh, And that's what we want to do. Uh, So invite somebody. Don't show up next week by yourself. Uh, Don't show up alone. And when you invite them and they come with you, make sure they fill out the card. You see what? See how that all connects. Right on. Cool. Uh, let's do this real quick before we even get uh, dive into the rest of the message today. Uh, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I don't want to make you feel on the spot, but I want you to just kind of look around. Okay. Look around, look at everybody you can see in the auditorium and ask yourself this question. Is there anyone here today that's here because I invited them? Look around. Don't, don't answer out loud. Is there anyone here today that's here because I gave a personal invitation to them. And if not, can I, can I just suggest something to you? If that's not the case, y'all, that's not Christian. 
That's not following Jesus. Because if you read the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is all about telling somebody, inviting somebody to come meet Jesus, inviting somebody to come experience uh, the good news. That, the good news is not just advice. It's actually news that we proclaim, right? Like news is something that you tell. And so that's why we want you to invite people. Because it's, it's, it's part of our DNA as Christ followers. Because Christ came to our planet. He invited us to know him. And now he's given us the responsibility. He calls it, scripture calls it, we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, and God is making his appeal to our world through us. And so if we don't invite, if we don't uh, communicate to people, how are they going to know how awesome Jesus is? Now, I'm not trying to brag on myself, but... I can look around in our church and think about people that, that call Vertical Church home. And I know at least three people who are here because I invited them. And I didn't know them before I invited them. It wasn't like I did some kind of friendship evangelism. No, no, no. I had an invite card in my pocket. I, I happened to be talking to them and said, hey, you go to church anywhere? No, you need to come check out my church. It's awesome. Where does it meet? It meets in a movie theater, which means you can get popcorn all you want. And you go catch a movie afterwards. It's great. Really? You meet, yeah, we meet in a movie theater. You need to come check it out. And some of them responded the first time and some of them didn't. And I had to invite them again when I ran into them again. You know what I'm saying? So it's a process. We're all involved. We all invite and God does uh, the work. All right, let's, uh, uh, that's like enough of the uh, uh, public service announcements. So let's uh, dive in uh, to our Overwhelm series. Um, you know, it's interesting being a, uh, a 35-year-old pastor preaching a, a series on overwhelm because uh, it, it's, it's, there's the potential for people to look at me in my, in my pink shirt and sweater and, and think, you know, what do you know about being overwhelmed? Like, really? You've got, you've got a, a, a hot wife who can sing, who can peel the paint off of a place. You've got three kids that are mostly good. Sometimes they're you know, they have their moments, but they're good. They're good looking kids. What do you know about being overwhelmed? And I don't talk a lot about my backstory. I, I haven't shared much about a lot of the things that I've gone through in life, but I wanted to just open up today and kind of let you in to the last 35 years. What, what are some of the, not, some of the most memorable moments are oftentimes associated with some of the most difficult times in our lives. Uh, I grew up in a little small town in West Virginia called Chapmanville. Technically, it's outside of Chapmanville in a place called Hearts Creek. But uh, you wouldn't know where Chapmanville is because it's only got one red light in the whole town and about 1,200 people. So um, we'll just say sm small town in southern West Virginia. And we were poor. I mean, we didn't grow up with much. My dad owned his own business, but it's not like he had a booming business. He was never on the cover of Fortune. <laughs> it never made the list of 500, uh, even in like Logan County. Uh, but uh, he, he did all right at times, and at other times we struggled. Sometimes there was plenty to eat, and sometimes we depended on people from the church showing up with grocery bags full of food so that we could have dinner. Uh, I remember times we were hiding from bill collectors because we didn't have the money to pay the bill that was due for the business. And so we were hiding behind the couch. And so my whole life, you know, uh, childhood growing up, it was that kind of uh, real tense financial struggle, financial pressure just continually uh, on our family. Um, I had a, uh, it was my mom and dad, me, and I had an older brother. My older brother's name's Jeff. He's six and a half years older than me. You've never met him because when I was 13, he died in a car accident. It was prom night. 
He was coming home. It was about 2.30. He fell asleep, ran his car off the side of the road into a ditch. The car flipped over and he died. I was 13. This is, my dad and I didn't really have a great relationship. So this is the guy, when I think of what it means to be a man at 13, this is the dude I look up to. This is the guy who stayed up late with me, telling me all about sex and sexuality before I went to junior high. So I wouldn't be embarrassed when kids in the locker room told jokes that I didn't know the meaning to. This is the guy that I played uh, catch with in the backyard. This is the guy, this is the guy, this might be a little TMI for you, but I never actually slept by myself in a bed until he passed away. We shared a bed for 13 years, or at least, you know, most of the 13 years. I can't really remember when I was one, so just give me a pass on that one. So at that point, you know, what do you do when you're 13 and and your life just collapses in front of you? Well, what I did is I tried to fill the void of my brother's absence by becoming him. So I began dressing like him. I began wearing my hair like him. I began uh, wearing his actual clothing. Uh, and it got really intense for a couple of years. And I remember one day my mom sits me down in the, in the dining room and she says, Josh, we lost your brother. I don't want to lose you too. I need you to come back. And that was a moment in my life for about two and a half, three years, I was in this kind of teenage uh, depression. And, and in that moment, you know, God began to work in my life and I began to walk out of it only to walk into at 18 years old. Uh, on my birthday, my dad disappeared for about three and a half weeks, four weeks. Turns out he was having an affair. Uh, senior in high school, married, parents were married for 27 years and he decided he didn't want to be married anymore. So why do you do series like Man vs. Wild? Or Man Man vs. Wild. Yeah, some of y'all are wild. (laughs) Ladies, come on. Why do we do series like Man vs. Wife? Because I don't want want another 18-year-old kid to go through what I went through. When When a marriage of 27 years just dissolves. And it didn't happen overnight. And that's what that's what we don't want for your life. And so we do stuff like that. And so for the next year or two, I watched my mom try to deal with with this. There's two times I've seen in my life my mom collapse on the floor and I had to pick her up. One was the night they told us my brother was dead. The second one was was one of the times my dad came back and left again. And she collapsed on the kitchen floor. And I'm 18 years old having to pick my mom up and take her to the couch. I hate my dad. Hated him for what he did. So my dad and I, we kind of tried to work things out. And, and over the next few years, you know, God worked in my life and God worked in his life. And we finally got to a place where I enjoyed spending time with him. And I, I enjoyed going to his house and I could tolerate his, his new wife. And, and, and it was finally at a place where maybe potentially we had something to build on. And then my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. And a year later, he died. So at this point, I'm 24 years old. My brothers died, my parents have divorced, and my dad's died. And there's so many things that were left unsaid. So many times I think about my life now and I think about my wedding. My, my dad died, what, four months before Hope and I got married. And I think about my kids and I think about Lex and Cole and Ava and I think, man, I wish they could have just known my dad. Because I think he would have been a really great grandfather. He's a terrible dad at times, but I think he'd have been a really great grandfather. And so me and my mom, we were really close. And as most of you know, just this past November, unexpectedly, shockingly even, massive heart attack, she's gone. 
So this 35-year-old punk kid who's wearing a pink shirt and a sweater standing before you is the only living person in my immediate family. I know what it means to be overwhelmed. <laughs> I know what it means to be well acquainted with loss and death and suffering and tragedy. I don't approach this series without personal overwhelm. And you know what's really interesting? None of us do. We all know what it means to be overwhelmed. We all know what it's like to go through something that you didn't think you were going to have to go through. We all have stories. I mean, I wish we could just like take the rest of the day and just sit around and, and drink coffee together and listen to each other's stories. Listen to stories of suffering and tragedy, but then also hear, hey, here's how God brought me through. I thought this was the worst part of my life and God was there pulling me through the whole time. I don't know how I had strength to even make it through the day. I wish we could hear those stories because what I've come to discover is I'm not the only one. You have them too. You have stories upon stories upon stories. Maybe for you, it was a traumatic experience. It was like a, uh, something you didn't see coming and just bam, it hit you and your whole life collapsed and fell apart. Or maybe for you, you don't have, you're like, I don't have a traumatic experience, Pastor Josh. What I have is just a dozen or hundreds of events piled on top of each other, and it's one after the other. And if it was just one instance, I could handle that, but it's on top of this and on top of that. You, you, ever, you remember the joke, like when we were in elementary school, kind of a riddle that you'd try to play on people? And, and you'd ask them, you'd say, hey, which is heavier, a thousand pounds of feathers or a thousand pounds of bricks? And if the person wasn't really slick and, 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 and catching on what you're saying, they'd be like, the bricks. And you're like, no, they're both a thousand pounds. You ever do that? Am I the only one? Heard that joke? Maybe your life feels like a thousand pounds of bricks and it's just one or two giant just rocks that fell on your, on your chest and it feels like your, your, your life is collapsing. Or maybe for you, it's a thousand pounds of feathers and it's just one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And here's the truth. A thousand pounds is a thousand pounds overwhelmed is overwhelmed, whether you've gone through hundreds and dozens of, of difficult uh, small things or whether you've gone through one just gigantic traumatic event, overwhelmed is overwhelmed and life is hard. <laughs> that's the reality, you know? It's just, it's just hard. That's, that's the truth of living in a fallen world. We don't get to schedule difficulty. It's not like it's not like you say, uh, hey, Pastor Josh, can we get together like lunch on Tuesday? And I, I look at my calendar and go, well, let me check. Uh, oh, no, lunch. see, Tuesday, I'm planning to go through this intersection and that car is going to run the red light. And at lunchtime, I'm actually going to be in the hospital surgery to save my life. We don't get to do that. You know, we don't get to schedule difficulty. It just happens. It just is. Life is hard. Life is hard even when it's supposed to be awesome. And nothing says this is more like going to Disney World. Have you ever been to Disney World? Like, raise your hand if you've been to Disney World. Look, have you ever seen the commercials for Disney World? Here, let, me, let me tell you what the commercial for Disney World looks like. Mickey Mouse is on Main Street all by himself. Family of four comes up frolicking. Take Mickey by the hand. And the five of them go prancing through the magic kingdom. They go up to rides. There's no line. There's no wait. 
It's not hot and it's not cold. It's the perfect temperature. And they, they, the, the sun is setting and Mickey and the family of four, they're, they're frolicking over bridges and, and through paths and they're just having a great time and, and the family goes home and, and the, there's not a hair out of place. There's not a stain on, it, on any shirt. It's perfect. But you want to know the reality of taking a trip to Disney World? Mickey is not in Main Street. Because if Mickey ever stepped out on Main Street, he would be mauled. He would be attacked because there is never a moment in Disney World where you're alone. It is just packed. You could go on the slowest day of the season and it's just massive amounts of people. And it's hot. You could go in December and you just sweat because it's Orlando and there is no breeze and it's just sun beating down on you. And you don't, you don't, you don't go up to a ride and just ride. No, you wait <laughs> in a line with a kid who's hungry or has to go to the bathroom. And they're, try, they're, they're about to go on themselves. And you're thinking, I've waited in this line for 45 minutes and I've still got 30 to go. I don't want to leave. And then you end the day and you're not happy. This is not the magic kingdom anymore. Because, because you're exhausted, you're sweaty, you're grimy, you've got stains on your shirts, and you're probably carrying a toddler who's exhausted and passed out on your shoulder and your back's about to break. That's Disney World. They don't, yeah, you don't have any money left. You're like, I spent all my money. They don't show you that on commercials because they want you to think, man, life is awesome. And if you'll come to Disney World, it'll be awesome. Now, listen, I love Disney World. We go all the time. Well, not all the time. I mean, we're here right now. We go typically try to take the kids uh, once a year. Sometimes we miss a year. Uh, but it's, our, it's the only thing we do in the whole year. Like, what do you do on vacation? We just go to Disney World. And we take no other vacation the rest of the year because you're broke afterwards. Because life is hard. Even when you're at Disney World, life is hard because, because it's not easy. Life wasn't easy for Jesus. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, we're going to look at this story, real small story, at the very end of Jesus' life. And we, we're going to see that life was not easy even for the Son of God. And if life isn't easy for the Son of God, then what makes us think that life is going to be easy for us? Look at this, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start with verse 36. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, look at the scripture on the screen behind me. You can also follow along on your phone if you have the YouVersion app. Little link says live. Click that. Do a search for vertical. Hey, it's really cool. You can look at the scripture. You can take notes. You can share on your Facebook, which you need to like the Vertical Church Facebook if you haven't. Plug. Um, you, can, you can do a prayer request. You can go to the way. It's awesome. Check it out if you don't have it. Verse 36. Let me, let me dive in here. Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, look what Jesus said. These are Jesus' words. My soul is overwhelmed. My soul is overwhelmed. With sorrow to the point of death. What does that even mean? Like, what is Jesus saying here? I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm thinking about dying and I'm not talking about the cross. My soul is overwhelmed. To the point of death. Hey guys, can you just stay here and just 
and just stay up with me? Can you keep watch with me? Why would Jesus be overwhelmed? He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh, and yet he's God in the flesh, and he's this fully human man whose life has been hard. How's his life been hard? Check this out. When Jesus was two, somebody tried to kill him. Somebody tried to kill Jesus when he was two. You can read the beginning of the gospel accounts. There's a king. His name is Herod. He hates the idea of Jesus. He hates him. So he, he gives this decree that all throughout the land, they're going to kill every child who's two years old or younger. So Jesus, at two years old, he was already had assassination attempts on his life. Joseph, his dad, probably died before this moment in Jesus's life. When Jesus is 12, we see his dad present, but he's never mentioned again in the story. Most scholars say that he probably died. Those of you who have lost a parent, you know what that's like. To, to, to go in, in, into your world, into your adolescent years or your young adult years, and your dad's gone. Jesus' dad was probably, probably died. When, when Jesus began his ministry, he always had people crowding around him. Listen, some of you are extroverts, but you know what I mean. There's only so much I can take being around people. I'm an extrovert, but I go to the bathroom and spend extra time just so I can be alone. You know, you know parents, and then that little hand comes under the door. What you doing in there, daddy? What are you doing? I'm building a rocket ship. Leave me alone. I'm trying to get away from you. Good. Are you coming out? Jesus never had a moment alone. Scripture tells us that when he would try, it literally says he would try to grab his disciples and go off by themselves, but the crowds would follow. And Jesus, having a heart full of compassion, couldn't turn them away, even though he wanted to just spend some time alone. People were always expecting things from him. People are always expecting things from him. You know what it's like whenever you go, people are expecting something from you? Jesus' life looks like this. Hey, Jesus, I've got this friend. They're blind. Can you heal them? Hey, Jesus, I know this guy. He's demon-possessed. Can you deliver him? Hey, Jesus, here's my friend. He can't walk. Can you heal him? Hey, Jesus, uh, my son is out in the field somewhere. Can you, can you stir his heart and bring him back home? Hey, Jesus, I need this. Hey, Jesus, can you do this? Hey, Jesus, can you go here? Hey, Jesus, I got a servant out there. Always. Look, you go into work and you get stressed out by the expectations your boss has for you. Imagine if you're Jesus and everywhere you go, people have expectations of you. Always expected things from him. His best friends never really bought into who he was. They always had their doubts. And check this out. Eventually, he's betrayed, betrayed by a really close friend named Judas. You say, how do you know Judas was a close friend? Because Judas took care of the money. And I don't think you entrust the money of your group to someone that you're not close to. So Jesus is probably really close to Judas. And Judas stabs him in the back. And he knows it's about to happen. And then he, know, he, he, he knew he was about to face the most intense time of his life. He knew what was waiting on him. And all of the weight of that is crushing down upon his shoulders. Can you imagine the pain and the anxiety and the hurt and the confusion that Jesus must be feeling at this moment? 
You see, this is the moment where if I'm Jesus, I just, I just draw the line and I say, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> uh, God, can we uh, work this out a different, can we just end it now? Like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I want this to be over. And that's, that's what Jesus basically says. God, can we just, can, can this be done? Can this be over? Because look, life is hard. Life was hard even for Jesus. And most of the time, we never see it coming, whatever it is, whatever that thing that just pushes you over the line that says, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm quitting. I'm going back to bed and I'm never crawling out again. Most of the time we never see it coming. And this is not the part of the message where I say, you know, you don't have Jesus's story. His story's harder than what you're going through. So you just need to shut up and go on. I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to try to I'm not going to try to outpain your pain. Does that, does that make sense? Like, I, I'm not going to try to tell you a story to make you feel bad. Look how hard Jesus had it. Now, you just need to, you know, take it and, and move on. No, 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 because, because that's annoying. You, have you ever met that person? You know, you like tell them, let's say you're cooking dinner or something, and, uh, and, and you're slicing cucumbers, and you accidentally slice your finger, and you can't get to stop bleeding, so you go to the emergency room. They put some stitches. It hurt. You put a bandage on. And you see your friend the next day, you know, and they're like, what's the bandage on your finger? And you tell them the story. And you're like, yeah, it kind of hurt. And they're like, don't tell me about pain. I'll tell you about pain. I was in Africa trying to reach an unreached people group for Jesus. And I was walking to the village when my foot got stuck in a hole. And I got, I, I got trapped and there was a lion approaching me. And he was growling at me. So I took my pocket knife out, sawed my leg off. Hopped to the village and saved everybody in the village. They all know Jesus now that I came. And this isn't my real leg. It's a fake leg. Tell me about pain. Man. You see somebody like that, you totally have my permission to just karate chop them right in the Adam's apple. No, I don't want to do that. Like, that's not the point of the message. Is I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to tell you how bad Jesus had it so you don't think you got it tough. No, life regardless of where you're at, life is hard. Let's, let's jump back to Jesus. Let's actually go back to scripture. Look, jump back with me to verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane comes from two Hebrew words that, that when you put them together, it basically means a place for pressing oil. You see, Gethsemane, Gethsemane was right on the side of the Mount of Olives. And just like the name says, the Mount of Olives, they have olives. It's what, it's not, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure that out, that they grow olives on the Mount of Olives. And so Gethsemane is right next to the Mount of Olives. And, and the, Gethsemane is, is a place, but it's also this contraption. It's this contraption where, where these huge stone slabs would be, would be uh, pressed upon olives that were crushed so that over, over time, the pressure from these huge stone slabs called the Gethsemane would, would squeeze and, and press the olives down until the oil came out. And then the oil would be collected in clay jars and used for all sorts of different things in Israel. You know, one of the the most important things that the oil is used for? Anointing. Healing. Nourishment. But before you can get the oil, 
you have to go through Gethsemane before you can experience the anointing, before you can experience the healing, before you can experience the nourishment that the oil brings, you have to take the olive through Gethsemane where it is crushed and pressed and pressure is applied to get the oil out. You tracking with what I'm saying? Jesus is in Gethsemane. Let me, let me put this together for you. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, before he, he goes to Calvary, before he's nailed to wooden beams, he goes to the place for pressing out the oil. He goes to the place of the press, an olive press, where, where the oil flows, where the anointing flows, where the healing flows, where the nourishment flows. And in this place of pressure, in this place of squeezing, in this place of pressing with the weight of the world squeezing down on him like those huge stone slabs would squeeze the olive, Jesus says, I need my friends to know something. My soul is overwhelmed because I'm in the place of the pressing. Guys, I feel like I have the weight of the salvation of all humanity resting on my shoulders and I'm overwhelmed. But Jesus knows that's the only way to get the oil out. The only way to get the anointing out, the only way to get the healing out, the only way to get, to get the nourishment out is to go through Gethsemane. Look, you don't, you don't need me to define pain for you. You know what pain is. What you need to understand is that there is a purpose behind the pain. That there is a, a, a reason for the pain. You, you go through different kinds of presses in life. Jesus, Jesus shows us, he, he shows us, look at this, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. What does that mean? That means Jesus is so exhausted, he can't stand. You see, sometimes the press is physical. Sometimes the press is physical and you feel the physical effects. Maybe it's a, maybe, maybe it's a, a doctor's call that, 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 that called you and you thought you were healthy and you thought everything was good until you got the news that it wasn't. And now you're in the physical Gethsemane. You're in the physical press. Maybe, maybe it's just all of the stress in your life, all of the things that keep you up at night, keep you from sleeping and start to affect you physically. Some of you are constantly sick because you're in the physical press of Gethsemane and you can't recover because your body is reacting to the stress that you're experiencing in your life. There, there, there's an emotional press. Look at what happens to Jesus. Let's continue this verse. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Can you imagine what kind of emotional roller coaster Jesus must have been on? He, he, he's, 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 he's engaging with his father, asking if this could, be, could, could change, if this path could be different, even though he knows it can't. 
and, and his emotions are up and down. Some of you know what that feels like. Some of you have lost a child in a miscarriage and your emotional torment is just never ending. Some of you have abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse in your past and the emotional turmoil and trauma in your mind feels like a Gethsemane just pressing down on your life. And at least physical pain is obvious. Emotional pain. Emotional presses can be deep and hidden in places that we seldom talk about. Some of us go through relational presses. Look what happens to Jesus. Verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? In other words, he says, guys, I'm in the most difficult part of my life. I feel like the weight of the world is crushing me. My soul is overwhelmed. Can't you just be there for me? This is the moment when I need you. This is the moment when I need support. This is the moment when I need you to have my back. Can't you just be there? They're asleep. You know what it's like to have a friend betray you? You know what it's like to feel abandoned by the people that you thought you could trust the most? Listen, listen, listen. The closer the relationship, the closer the relationship, the greater the potential for pain. When you're abandoned by someone you don't know, it doesn't really hurt. But when you're abandoned betrayed by someone, relationship that you held dear and they turned their back on you. It's like a Gethsemane pressing down. There's a spiritual press. Look, look what happens in Jesus's life. Verse 42, he, he goes away a second time and he prays, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I, if it's not possible, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He comes back and he sees them sleeping again. Their eyes are heavy. And so he leaves and prays again the same thing. You know, sometimes, sometimes our problem isn't with somebody else. Sometimes our problem is with God. And we're in a spiritual press. And we've got spiritual weight on our minds, on our hearts. Because we buy into this false idea that, that God makes good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Like if you love God, then, then, then you're always going to be blessed. If you're good, you're going to be blessed. And if you're bad, God's going to make, God's going to make your truck break down, your kids go crazy, and your marriage fall apart. <laughs> the only problem with that uh, idea, the only problem with that theology is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. There has been no one in the history of the world who has ever been more in line and in tune with God than Jesus, and he ends up getting, getting beaten and mocked and crucified. Or think about all of the people throughout Christian history who, because of their faith and trust in Jesus, have lost their very lives. And we think good things happen for good people, but if you're bad, bad things happen. One of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible, I think, is Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says this. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, we often wonder in our lives, we read that verse and we think, well, God is supposed to make all things work out for my good. Why don't I see anything good? Why am I not seeing the good 
And I just want you to know, you're not seeing the good because he's not done. When he's done, it'll be good. But if it ain't good, he ain't done. And you look around and the problem is, as we quote this while we're in the middle of Gethsemane and we're saying it's supposed to be good. God, why isn't it good? You promised that it would be good. Why haven't you made it good? He's not done. Jesus isn't done. This isn't where his story ends. This is the moment when the anointing is being squeezed out so he can go to Calvary. This is the moment when the healing is being pressed out of his body. And Luke tells us it's so squeezed out that his sweat becomes like drops of blood. If it's not good, God's not done. And you might be in the middle of the Garden of Gethsemane. If you feel like Jesus today, I want to encourage you. I want you to know something. If you feel like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, like you're going through the press right now, just hold on. Pastor Josh, what's the point of this message? The point of this message is don't quit. Don't quit in the garden because if you won't quit, I promise you there's another garden coming. I promise you there's another garden on the horizon. And if you won't quit in the garden of Gethsemane, you'll walk through the garden tomb on the other side. And this place is not a place of death like Gethsemane because the garden tomb is a place of resurrection. Resurrection. You see, if you don't quit in Gethsemane, If you don't quit, we're so tempted to quit on God when the press is applied. But if we don't quit, we'll be in the day where we're in awe of a God who can take tragedy and turn it in to triumph if we don't quit. That's the point. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. I meet people and and they say, I just don't see how God can turn my overwhelming circumstance into something good. And I get it. I really do. Don't quit. We've all wrestled with doubt. We've all been tempted to tell God how he should have done things or how he could do things. You know, over Christmas, over Christmas, I think we watched five of the six Star Wars movies. Because my father-in-law hadn't seen some of them. And so, like, the whole thing put together. My kids love it. So we watched, like, five of the six, I think. Did you know? Google it if you don't believe me. Did you know? I think if you put all six of them together, it's like 13 and a half hours from, from beginning to end. Can you imagine if you watched 15 seconds of a Star Wars movie? And you call up, you call up George Lucas and you say, hey, George, uh, I just finished watching 15 seconds of this little thing you did. And um, I, got, I, got five, I got five thoughts how you could have made it a better, better, better series. Five things you should have done. Five things that could make it better. You know what George Lucas would do? Shut up. You're crazy. He probably is not answering a phone like that. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But you know what? We do that to God all the time. And yet God can see the beginning and the end at the same time. And we can see just a tiny little sliver. God, you should do this. God, you could have done this. God, why, is that, why aren't you making it good? And 
God exists outside of our sliver. And he says, I am. I'm just not done yet. It'll be good when I finish. And I need you to trust me right now. Even though you're in the Garden of Gethsemane, you're going to walk out of an empty tomb. You're not going to die in this place of death. I've got resurrection waiting for you. Because the purpose of the press is to get the oil out. Why am I going through this, God? Why, is, why do I feel this, 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 this difficulty? It's because the most oil comes out. The most anointing comes out. The most healing comes out. The most nourishment comes out when you're pressed harder than you've ever been. So don't give up. Don't give up in Gethsemane. Don't give up in the garden because God is getting the oil out. And he's about to do something awesome in your life if you just won't quit. I know it's hard. I know you feel like quitting, but don't. Don't give up because the difference between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow is the press that you're willing to to endure. Don't give up. Please don't give up. Pastor Hope's going to sing this song and I'm going to invite Johan and Kristen to uh, grab the, the, the baskets of, uh, of oil. I've got, I thought all week, I thought, how can we make this, uh, close this in a way that, that's memorable? I want, to give, I want to give people something that they can take with them to remind them, don't quit in the garden of Gethsemane because God's getting the oil out. And when he gets the oil out, I'll see the greatest thing in my life that I could ever imagine. Don't quit. So they're going to pass kind of like when we take up offering, except this time we don't want you to put anything in. We've got oil vials in the baskets and they're going to pass them through your row. I want you to take one. Everybody in the auditorium, take one with you. And when you put it in a place, wherever you need to put it, at your house, whatever you need to do, put it in a place that will remind you, don't quit. Whatever the press is for you right now, don't quit in the press. Don't give up. It's to be a visual reminder something tangible that you can hold on to and look at and see every day. God's getting the oil out. And when he's finished, it'll be good. But if he's not done, it doesn't have to be good. So while Hope sings this song and you take your vow, would you just spend a few moments just maybe even singing the words of this song? Here's my heart, God. I'm in the press right now. And, and, and I feel like everything's just crushing on, but God hears my heart. Can you worship while you're in the garden? So you all go ahead and start making your way up the aisle, passing those out. Hope's going to sing, and I'm going to come back and close in prayer here in just a moment. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, 
You can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.